0: Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today on this new episode of Without a Sound. Today I'll be talking about a really hard case. Um, Well, actually two cases. One of them uh, was from the 1950s and the other one is a more modern, similar case. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the first one. Uh, It's called The Boy in the Box. And I'm sure many of you have heard it because at some point in my life, I had heard about this uh, case uh, prior to doing any research on this, but I didn't, I didn't really know the theories that had um, kind of gone behind what the police thought at the time. I kind of had just heard about this little boy being found in a box. Okay, so let's get started. On February 25th, 1957 in Fox Chase, which is an area of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the naked, battered body of a little boy was found in a box. He had been wrapped in a plaid blank, I can't say that word, plaid blank, I can't say those two words together, plaid blanket, and his hair seemed to have been recently cropped. Um, They speculated that it might have been cropped after death because clumps of his hair was still clinging on to his body. So this poor little boy had suffered several things in his short little life. He was malnourished and had surgical scars on his ankle and groin, as well as an L-shaped scar under his chin. So we can just imagine what he had gone through in his short little life. Okay, so once his body was found this case attracted massive media attention not only in philadelphia but also in the delaware valley um but nothing came out of any of that media frenzy like information or anything that would be, would to be used to identify the boy or anybody that saw anything? So, for 1957, it seems the police were really involved. The crime scene was combed over by about 270 police academy recruits who actually discovered a man's blue corduroy cap and a child's scarf, as well as a man's white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. None of these clues led anywhere and they took, they actually took fingerprints of the boy and nothing ever came out of that and there was never any useful information that was given or that was able to be used to be able to identify the boy. They even went as far as to dress him up and take post-mortem pictures of him. And have the media show them and showcase them in posters and in newspapers. um, In hopes that by showing the boy as he might have looked in life, someone may recognize him or would have recognized him. But despite all their efforts, the boy's identity was never known and his case remains open and unsolved to this day. So, as far as theories goes, there are a few theories. The first theory um, came because of a guy named Remington Bristow. Um, Apparently, they they thought that the boy came from a foster home that was located about 1.5 miles from where the body was found. And this guy Remington Bristow, who was an employer of the medical examiner's office, he actually continued to pursue the case until his death of, in 1993. And he went as far as to contact a psychic, who told him to look for a house that much, sorry, that matched the foster home. And they actually brought the psychic to the area. And she was able to directly lead them to this foster home. I'm not sure what Remington did with this information, but it seems like he was doing his own investigation on the side because um, he actually goes on, the information goes on to say that he went to an estate sale that was held there at the foster home and that's where he discovered a bassinet that was similar to the one sold at J.C. Penny, And this is important because the box that the little boy was found in was actually one of those J.C. Penny bassinets. Um, and so when he found the, the J.C. Penney bassinet at the foster home, that kind of made him think twice because the box matched the bassinet that The boy was found in, so it's kind of like a link, right? Okay, so at the estate sale, he also found blankets that were hanging um, on clotheslines. And these were similar to the ones in which the boy had been wrapped in. Which, I don't want to speculate too much, but, you know, 1957, uh, I don't think fashion was as it is what it is today and blankets were pretty similar during that time i mean it's like fashion right everybody wants the same thing of everything of whatever is popular so you know that could be a coincidence but anyways what remington came to believe was that the boy was the son of the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home and that they disposed of the boy's body so that the stepdaughter would not be exposed as an unwed mother which to me is kind of far-fetched because if this is a foster home the people around them would kind of assume that there's going to be kids maybe in and out uh, you know so maybe they could have said this is, oh, we got a new foster baby or a new child. So that, that kind of didn't add up for me anyways. So uh, Remington theorized that the boy's death had been an accident. But, you know, going back to the information, this little boy looks like he had gone through, you know, some beatings, some, had some scars and some accidents. Was malnourished. So, how much of an accident could it really be? Anyways, those are my thoughts. So, um, Remington only had circumstantial evidence and no one could ever find a definite link between the boy and this foster home. And in 1998, this um, society called VIDOC or VIDOC, V I D O C Q, Um, which is cool because I had never heard of these guys. Um, they're actually a group of retired policemen and pro fathers. And this group made one last attempt and actually interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter whom the stepfather had married, which ew gross. And also like big red flag for me anyways. But nothing came out of this interview and the case against them, I guess, was closed. Okay, so the second theory is that there's a story that this woman, known only as Martha or quote unquote M, who she says that in February of 2002, she claimed that her abusive mother, purchased the boy from his birth parents and that his real name was Jonathan and that this transaction had happened in the summer of 1954 okay so she said that the boy went on to be subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years and that one evening during dinner the boy vomited up his meal of baked beans and was given a severe beating with his head slammed against the door, sorry, against the floor until he was semi-conscious. He was then given a bath during which he died. So these details that she provided as match the information that only was known to the police and the coroner uh, because the coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained remains of baked beans and that his fingers were water wrinkled, and I guess this information had not been released to the public, so how would she know? Um, but this this story was in 2002, so from 1957 to 2002, that that information was not known, and was not out there. I don't know. Maybe someone knows that information. I'm not quite sure about that. Okay, so she went on to say that her mom cut the boy's long hair in an effort to conceal his identity and that she mentioned that um, her mom had forced her to help her uh, dump the body. Um, part of this story was that um, as they were doing this, um, they were stopped along the roadside and actually a passing male motorist pulled alongside to ask if they needed help. At which point, M was told to stand in front of the license plates to shield it from view. And eventually, you know, once the man realized that they didn't need help, drove off. But I have questions about this because um, also this corroborated confidential testimony given by a male witness in 1957 who said that the uh, that the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene, which is like what? so (laughs) I don't understand that because did this man see the boy in the box um or I'm not sure so that part to me (laughs) is a little bit confusing maybe this man saw them there and said yeah I saw somebody with a box Uh, I'm not sure about that but the way it's written that's what it seems like you know So, despite stating things that no one knew about but the police, um, they were actually unable to verify her story. Neighbors stated that around that period, you know, 1957, that there had not been a boy living there in the house with them and dismissed M's claims as being quote-unquote ridiculous. So, nothing came out of that. Another theory that um, a forensic artist called Frank Bender developed was that the little boy was actually raised as a girl and not as a boy, which would account for his hair being cut at the time of death, which makes sense. He must have had maybe long hair and people might identify him more easily that way. Um, Okay, so then there was another incident of um, some DNA that had to be compared. Apparently, these two gentlemen, Jim Hoffman from L.A. and Louis Romano from New Jersey, who were two writers, they um, explained that they believed that they had found a potential... um, they had found potentially the identity of a family member related to the child. But, um, and, and this was back in 2016. Um, but the, the, I think the, their research dated back all the way to 2013. Anyways, um, Eventually, in December of 2015, Homicide Sergeant Bob Kulmeyer confirmed that DNA taken from the Memphis Man was compared to the Fox Chase boy, which is, I guess, how he's referred to, and there was no connection. So, at this time, those were the theories for um, the identity of, or trying to find the identity of this boy in a box, his burial. Um... In 1998, his body was exhumed for the purpose of contracting that, um, sorry, extracting DNA, and which was obtained from an enamel on a tooth. He was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, which was part of a donated large plot. The coffin, headstone, and funeral service were donated by the son of the man who had buried the boy in 1957. There was some significant public attendance and media coverage at the reburial and the grave has a large headstone bearing the words america's unknown child and that is the story of the boy in the box so this next case um is actually very similar to the boy in the box and Um, it's another very sad, tragic story of another little boy who probably suffered before um, his life was ended very shortly. So uh, he was actually four years old at the time of his death. And he was actually, um, he actually died in 1994. And this is a case of the boy in the bag. This little boy, much like the little boy in the box was found murdered because this is what they are, they're murdered um, uh, in 1994 um, he was found in Philadelphia he was four years old he had appeared to be beaten to death and stuffed inside a duffel bag and his story, that's why he became known as the boy in the bag um, so His, uh, it's sad because it says his skeleton, skeleton, I can't say this word, skeletonized remains were found on May 27th, 1994 in the 300 block of North Lawrence Street. The autopsy showed that he had been uh, beaten to death with trauma to the head and torso. And his remains were found wrapped in bed sheets and a towel inside a nylon bag, underneath the Ben Franklin Bridge. And for years, um, for years, his body lay unclaimed in the city morgue. So, as you can already tell, this case isn't as well known as the boy in the box. Even though it happened in 1994, I had never heard about it until I searched for the boy in the box. And this case came up And, um, I'm surprised that it took 11 years later for one of the family members to kind of come forward and say, Hey, I think I know the identity of this kid. Um, it's kind of really sad. So what happened was that in 2005, 11 years later, an uncle who had just returned to the area asked after the boy. And when he couldn't learn his whereabouts, looked on the website of National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and there he saw a facial reconstruction of the boy done by Philadelphia forensic artist Frank Bender and called police. And that's how um, the case was reopened and an investigation um, began. Turns out that Alicia Robinson, 34 years old, and her husband Lawrence Robinson, 37, said says that um the mom said that he beat her son the little boy's name was finally known as Jarrell Willis so we jump to 2007 when um according to Alicia Robinson she testifies against her husband Lawrence Robinson who she says beat her son and she said that um He denies it, of course. Um, And according to Alicia, she said that on one, she can't recall the exact day, according to her testimony. But she said she left the child with Lawrence and that when she returned, she found him beaten to death. And again, she wasn't certain about the exact date, but... She admitted that she helped him place the, bo- the boy's body in a canvas bag, and carried it onto a bus to Philadelphia, where the bag was dumped on Warren Street near Vine, and it wasn't discovered until May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four. And she pleaded guilty to hindering apprehension or pre- um, prosecution, and as of two thousand and seven, she faced five years in prison under terms of a plea agreement. So Alicia Robinson, um, a little backstory to this woman. She wasn't married to Lawrence at the time of Jarrell's death. But they married shortly after. And she actually had 10 other children. Went during court. You know, all this information came up that Lawrence was abusive. And he actually had a violent past. He was convicted several years before that of a sexual assault and sentenced to eight years in prison by the time this came up he was already in prison when when all this happened um and so you know the other 10 kids were interviewed and apparently lawrence was um he was violent with them but not their mom they said so they wanted to take that into consideration so Um, it's, it's a really sad story because it seems she also agreed to give up any claim to a defense of battered woman syndrome, suggesting that her husband was abusive to her. So can't know. I mean, it seems that Lawrence was the one who beat the child at the same time. If the mom had come home or to see that. I don't know. I'm not in an abusive relationship. I'm not quite sure if she was too afraid, too scared to say anything. Um, it's it's kind of really sad because then you, you then you go on to have ten more kids. Like what what state of mind are you then really in that One of your kids is dead, and then you still have the ability to continue and have 10 more with the person that you say now was the one who beat your first child. That's kind of very hard. But I wanted to go back and kind of reiterate that in 1957, the boy in the box was like, Like to this day, it's a well-known case. But how many of you knew about the boy in the bag? It's not such a well known case, and I'm not quite sure why I mean, I could speculate as to reason as to the personal reasons I think why one is more well known than the other, but you know that's either here nor there. These are kids that are missing um that go missing every day, going back to you know the case I did in the last podcast, how many of these girls are considered runaways and not victims. And we need to start kind of changing the way we look at that. Sometimes they're, sometimes, and I want to say most of the time, they're not runaways. They've been, you know, taken or kidnapped. I mean, what is it going to take to change the way we view kids and those that disappear? I mean, I think every case within, you know, if a parent has a concern, this is not typical of them then I, you know, raise, raise the flags, you know, let people know the faster that the information gets out there, especially now with all the technology that we have, chances are they would be found much faster, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) You know, you guys all can form your own opinions and have your own conversations. I kind of just want to be here to be open to those conversations anyways so most of the information that I took was from Wikipedia and from um, just different articles um, as far as the boy in the bag there was different articles in a um, website called America's oh, uh, America's unknown net slash other boy so you can find uh pictures there you can find um all the information It, it has several it has a list of several um articles if you want to just delve into that case a little bit more anyways so those are the cases for today and i hope you have a good rest of your week and enjoy your week and i'll see you next time without a sound